0: What's up? What's up, bitches? We have a super exciting episode today of Positively Uncensored because we are welcoming Dr. Diane, um, also known as Back to Love Doc on Instagram and her social media platforms. And I'm super excited to get the chance to speak with you.
1: Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here.
0: You know, I have been asked actually to have you on an episode. I've had multiple people who listen to my show reach out to me and most recently one of my followers who like really engages with my content her name is Melanie, but she's been dying to see us like collaborate together on an episode. So I'm excited to like kind of listen to feedback and have you here.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, I follow her too
0: and she follows me so yeah. So shout out Melanie. <laughs> So I wanted to, for people who aren't familiar with you, I wanted to start with a little bit about yourself. And I wanted to know how you started kind of like diagnosing these reality and television relationships.
1: Well, Leah, thank you. So I, interesting enough, I am a licensed psychologist. I have been licensed for 20 plus years. I've been doing this work for a long time but probably about five years ago, I really got into attachment theory. And I've also just always loved reality dating shows. Like I'm an, I'm an OG bachelor follower. I watched when I was single and dating and I loved the show and thought, can I blend this into my brand and my business? So I created a love style quiz because I'm also a researcher. I did my postdoc at Stanford. I've worked on clinical trials. I really like to put numbers behind concepts. Like, are people secure? Because the data you might know in attachment theory is that 50% of people are secure. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but 50% of my clients are certainly not secure. And those are the people who show up in therapy. So I wanted to have some data about this. So I created this quiz. I have a love style quiz on my website. And I've had 75,000 people take my quiz. Wow. Yeah. So now I have some data that says 75% of people are insecure. So I want to normalize this. I want to help people get back to love, back to like a more organic, maybe, satisfying love relationship, but I also want to help people concretely with the different things because the advice I give to somebody who's anxiously attached versus somebody who's avoidant is very different. And while they have some similar things they need to work on in terms of their attachment style, there's going to be some subtle differences. And I want to say to people, love is not one size fits all. So you need to understand who you are, why you do the things that you do, and then figure out how to move towards becoming more secure yourself, and then becoming secure in a couple. So I do all of that. And then I follow reality dating shows to bring it back to your question, because I want to give people real life examples of good communication as well as poor communication. So I'll follow a show like Love is Blind, and I'll say, imagine if there was a therapist here who was holding people accountable. What would this reunion have looked like if each of them spoke to their truth? And I'll do a video on that playing these characters because I want people to see an alternative,
0: I love that explanation because I've loved your content just because I have often watched these shows and said what I wouldn't give for an intermediate episode from a therapist breaking down whether or not that was healthy and what they could have done differently. So once I found your account, that's exactly the feeling that I get. And um, as far as the attachment styles go that you mentioned combining the two of those together. I found your quiz. I took it. I'm nervous, according to the quiz, you know, um, and I felt bad at first. So hearing that 75% of people are insecure and maybe that manifests in different ways for different people, um, that's powerful to know that you're not alone and that you also have help for that.
1: Absolutely. And Leah, I'm the first to raise my hand too, that I have a nervous, I call myself nervous Nora. I don't like Word anxious. So it really is your nervous system that is sensitive. So I call myself a nervous Nora as well. And 46% of women are nervous. Right. So we're normalizing the fact that it's not that your parents didn't love you. It's that they may have experienced their own anxiety. They may not have been completely present for you the way that you need it. But now knowing that, what do you do about it? What do you do? Do you? work to not attach so quickly? Do you not get too connected? Do you set boundaries? Um, Which is going to be different than an avoidant person who maybe has
0: too many boundaries. As I said, it's not one size fits all. Right. And it's interesting, too, because I can represent the portion who, that might be small of people who had such a peaceful, secure upbringing in childhood that anything that does upset my nervous system really upsets it. Like, you know, like a small conflict for others in their day to day, like someone yelling at them. For me, that just didn't happen. I had such a Peaceful home with such um, thoughtful communication because I have older parents, they're pastors, um, and so when I experience those things, you know, it, it's getting acclimated to the fact that a lot of people aren't coming from that; they have busy life.
1: And Leah, that's a perfect thing because it may not be your own attachment style; it's dealing with everybody else. So, yeah. right, you may feel secure on some level, but then you get confronted with someone else who's more expressive and that feels aggressive.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: And so you're like, oh my God, what is this?
0: Yeah, exactly. And then it's because I don't know what to do. That does come across as being nervous. You know, I just not knowing how, what, where to go.
1: Right. So it's not only learning yourself, it's like learning everybody else too.
0: Exactly. So being that you're a reality buff and OG, kind of like myself, what is a couple that sticks in your mind that has had like explosive blowups? And it doesn't have to be reality, but if one comes to mind. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, reality TV. If I'm just thinking quickly, most of it is so highly edited that they're not going to show drama. Though I will tell you, on uh, Married at First Sight in particular, um, there was there are a lot of couples that are pretty high conflict. Did you see the Boston Married at First Sight?
0: I didn't, but I. But fill me in. I'm totally okay. interested. So
1: I'm, I'm just blanking on the woman's name. There was um, a woman, I want to say her name was Lindsay, but I'm not 100%. She was um, married to a man and they just fought constantly. That was in the Boston episode. And one of the only ones I watched, because there is a therapist on, and I wanted to see, but I was disappointed that the therapist didn't intervene more, to be quite frank. I thought that there was a real opportunity to come in and to say, this is unhealthy and break it up. And, and they didn't. So that was disappointing to me. But to your question, the most conflict recently, I binged watched Tell Me Lies. And it's not reality TV, but it is a drama for sure. And my God, Stephen and Lucy, and then Stephen and Diana um, are high conflict couples, mainly because I think Stephen... Um, really displays a lot of narcissism. And um, what I loved about the show, though, different than reality TV, is they show us how Stephen became that way because you see his mother, mm-hmm. who is like bone shilling, representing someone to me who looked like having borderline personality disorder and narcissism herself. And you see how he gets trapped with his own mother and that she can be sarcastic and be very biting to him. And then Stephen embodies these traits and then acts out towards his friends and towards his partner in a similar way that he learned from his mother. So I thought it was a perfect depiction of how you can form your attachment style. He's a little bit more avoidant, kind of can't be vulnerable, acts out through sex. But we see how he became that way from observing his mother. It's it's really gripping.
0: I completely agree. And I don't like I'm not spoiling anything for you because are you planning to read the book at all or not really?
1: I, no, I just binge watched the series. Yeah, yeah.
0: so- Like I read the book after just curious if they give us any more. And oh my gosh, the background that they give even further in the book, like Lucy eventually goes to a therapist and she talks about Stephen, and he diagnoses Steven as being a sociopath and narcissistic and he's both and not in the terms of he kills people, but he really doesn't feel anything. And I think it goes back to his mother. And I think that she completely desensitized him to love and what, how to love a woman, what it even looks like. Is it possible? Absolutely. And I mean, you,
1: you can't help, but feel bad for Steven. When you see the mother, he comes in that scene at Christmas and he can't quite get it right with her. Right. And she's already annihilated the husband. So the father has started a complete family. I mean, it's, it's really, um, really quite telling. And yes, you can see the socio sociopathy where he has no kind of affect, uh, right? And he gets that because his mother just puts him in a bind. And no matter what he does, he he can't get it right with her. So you can see how he just can't even figure out the right affect.
0: And what do you think? Like, obviously, her partner is someone who is dealing with the fact that he's responsible. for for the death of someone, you know, I mean, maybe indirectly, but he, he's responsible. Like aside from that, like, should they break up, you know, even if that weren't the case?
1: So how I would describe the relationship between Stephen and Lucy and Stephen and Diana is kind of a trauma bond. So I think we have to get clear and I I'm a stickler for these terms because you wouldn't have two secure people being in a trauma bond. Usually, you have abuse that you have observed, that you've been a part of, physical, emotional, um, could be sexual, even abuse in your early family. So, you have a trauma. And then you bond with someone else who also has a trauma. And so, we see Lucy even had a trauma. She lost her father. And then that becomes a whole, its own storyline. Diana, I don't know her story. We don't get into that enough. But there is something about this bad boy kind of connection and then bonding around this highly sexualized relationship that people are attracted to. And similar in the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp case, they both came into that marriage with a lot of trauma. And so we see this toxic relationship. We see the fighting. Should they break up? It would be healthier. I'm not disagreeing. I think the work would be substantial for the couple, not impossible. I have, I work with couples. I have worked with people who both have traumatic pasts. And in that case, I'd want them to be doing individual therapy and couples therapy
0: also. I think that that's such an interesting perspective. I've never thought about the fact that two secure people wouldn't come into a relationship and have that. And when you apply it to Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, I completely agree because, you know, unpopular opinion here. I'm not all team Johnny or team Amber. I think that it's so clearly that they, they, she suffered abuse. It's documented. She abused her. She'd also abused him. They yes. should have split so much earlier into their relationship than they did. Um, and it's like you said, two people who aren't, a match for each other, becoming one. And Leah, what I do as well in
1: my work with people, I like to grade people, and, and not because I want to put a label on anyone. But if you come in and you have a little bit of anxious attachment, like on a scale of one to ten, you're like a a two or a three or a four. You're going to have a lot of realm of possibilities versus you're a 10 anxious person and your partner looks at you the wrong way and you're having a panic attack. Like there's all different levels of workability too. So even the question of can a couple work or not is really where they are as individuals and then what's their dynamic as a couple.
0: That makes sense. Are you able to have a healthy relationship if someone who has the sociopathic tendencies seeks counseling, essentially?
1: Well, one, that type of person is pretty unlikely to come. It's the same thing with narcissism in general. They're less likely to show up and raise their hand. Hey, I have issues. Avoiding people will show up in my office, though, and say, hey, I've had a you know, a series of failed relationships, I prefer to work with them when they're not already in a couple because you reference everything according to your current partner versus just being able to like look at the pattern because what we're looking at here in attachment styles, it's the wounds, but then the patterns that I'm going into. For instance, I dismiss my partner's emotions like Stephen would, um, that not having empathy. We would have to look at that. And I would even say to Stephen, OK, just in terms of avoidance, forget sociopathy, forget um, narcissism. 20, only 27% of, of people are avoided. You think that you're low maintenance and everybody else is the problem. But you are the person who is the problem because everyone else is going to want more from you. Everyone is going to want you to be more vulnerable and to hold space for their emotions. So stop thinking that everybody else is the problem. The problem is you need to step up and give more.
0: That's so powerful to know because if you're with you know, if someone was with someone who is avoidant and they feel I hate to just throw the word around, but just if they feel gaslit by that person because they want more all the time and they're not getting it, they're right. You know, like you, you really aren't getting enough.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, on Instagram, there's this whole thing. If I'm too much for you, find less. And it's like, we can, we can be sassy about that. But if you're already in a couple, the question is, why do you feel so vulnerable? And how can we create security so you can be more vulnerable in this current relationship? And the trouble with reality dating is we're not really there yet because you're like dating multiple people. I mean, it's just, it's a whole different thing. We're at the early, early phase. Like in Love Island, they say early days, right? Because we're right. early days in those
0: relationships. Right. You don't want all your eggs in one basket. I love to say that too. <laughs> so right. In in terms of security in a relationship, if, if you have a partner who's cheated in the past, Can you feel secure in your relationship or, um, you know, if you have a partner who cheats on you, you know, is there coming back from that, do you think?
1: Yeah, I just did a recent podcast on this, too, and um, I love to quote Esther Perel. Um, Esther is an expert on affairs. I like to look at the data on this, but she says that it's usually like 30-30-30, And I don't know what happens to the last 10%, but 30% of people after an affair will split, done, over, no coming back. And this is mostly marriages, okay? 30% of couples will stay in limbo. The affair will have happened, and they will not discuss it. They'll just kind of like move on. There could be a lot of unhappiness in that. But 30% of couples will actually deal with the affair, process what happened, to start the affair in the first place what needs were not getting met which is usually the issue although that could be different if there's a sexual addiction it could be it could be very complex and those 30% will actually improve their relationship post affair so wow we look at that and i say it's not all doomed because this idea of once a cheater always a cheater that's not really true you could have been 20 years in a marriage But then there were issues and you went back with your high school sweetheart um, and you started an affair that way. And now you're married to that person for 30 years. That's not once a cheater, always a cheater. But if you have a monogamous relationship with a person in your 30s, right, and you are saying, we're not going to tolerate this. And that person is cheating on you because they're not directly addressing the issues in your relationship, like a Stephen going from cheating to cheating to cheating, that could be more of a concerning pattern. So it's, I don't want to broad brush and say everybody wants a cheater or is a cheater. That's not true.
0: I agree. And I think that it's a lot to do with the cycle. If they're a habitual okay. cheater, last seven girlfriends they've cheated on, I think that that's grounds for raising red flags. Absolutely. And like, if, like you said, you know, wrong person you're with, and then you cheat on your spouse or someone when you're unhappy and find someone that you were meant to be with. Um, And I think that people are meant to be with with each other. So I'm saying that kind of loosely. But, you know, if you find your person, that doesn't make you a habitual cheater going to cheat on them in a few years. That's right. Because people do then, if you hear somebody's
1: story, right, in dating, you hear their backstory and you heard that they cheated um, and or they cheat with you. Right. So now I cheat with you. You're a married man. And then we get married. Now I'm going to have that worry. Right. That you're going to do to me what we did. And that's going to be some work, probably some couples therapy around how are we going to affair proof this relationship.
0: Right. Because you always do have people who um, use a blanket statement for all relationships and they'll say, if he cheated with you, he'll cheat on you, you know, and that's just not true either. Right. Right. Jumping to the next topic. What do you think was the most surprising divorce that happened in 2022?
1: I would say Giselle and Tom Brady. I really liked this couple. They have three children um i thought they were secure i thought tom was listening to her we want more family time and giselle is a powerful person i mean she is a force to be reckoned with right she has her own business she's highly successful and i really thought that he should have stayed uh retired i did right and i think it was just a bad move and i think the fans want him as a player and i get that um, but he needed to prioritize his marriage, and I, I don't think it was, you know, for her to say, "Hey, you promised this to me, and you took it away." That was surprising.
0: I agree with you. Just to play devil's advocate, because it popped in my head. I I think about those women who are very much independent career women and dominant in their fields, and they say, "All right, I'm going to be a stay at home mom after I've given birth. I'm going to stay home these next four years," and two months into it, I need to go back to work. I can't be this person. And I, I just wonder if he was prematurely experiencing any of that. Um, you know, I just wonder if his worth and if his um, like always on the go energy just really couldn't handle that, you know, and I just wonder if that's what was happening. But ultimately, I I completely agree with you. If he values the relationship, he should have stayed retired.
1: Well, and, and I think there, and to your point, Leo, which is a good one, um, I know like my husband's retired and you don't really quite imagine what that's going to be, but it usually takes a couple years to then figure out what else are you going to do? Tom, right. Tom could have coached, he could have uh, found a way to still stay involved. And as a couple, um, what I say in, in the relationship, there's something called managing thirds. And managing thirds are like the third in the triangle, whether that's an ex-spouse, your parents, the media. And that's where, getting back to reality dating shows, you have to manage that as an entity. And as a couple, you have to say, we are the anchors here. How do we manage that? And together, if they had figured out, well, he's going to slowly retire or he's going to coach or he's going to do something else, maybe they could have found a different solution.
0: Right. And because we're not in the relationship and people who are that, you know, they're like almost A list celebrities, people who are that famous, there could be so much more to that relationship. And that's what they could publicly say as well. You know, like you really never know.
1: No. And I caveat everything that I say. We don't, all we know, and it's called media psychology because people will question, well, how can you comment? You don't treat them. Absolutely not. Because if I treated them, then I would be bound to confidentiality and I couldn't say anything. But media psychology is what do we see and what do we extrapolate based upon also hundreds and thousands of other couples that we know, right? And absolutely through the media, we're only going to see little portions of it. So I personally try not to get attached to any one couple. I'm more looking for snippets. Like that was a good conversation, that was a good moment of taking accountability. That was a good breakup. Um, that was thoughtful. You know, I tried to break up segments, not to say, oh my God, if this couple doesn't make it, I don't know what I'm going to do.
0: Which when is you I say, do <laughs> yeah. No, that, cause that happens too. I've seen that reaction on the internet, especially. Um, speaking of splits, what was your thoughts on how um, Danielle and Nick from Love is Blind split recently. If you saw anything of that, well, actually, I met with Danielle in person
1: and oh, good. had her on an IG live because I'm from Chicago originally. And so on my last visit, um, we had a lovely time. I can't speak to much of that. I do think um, part of Love is Blind is the fast pace. And then you get into a relationship and you're really like, wow, who is this person? Right. Because the obviously it's all condensed. Right. And so I think there were a lot of surprises versus Ayana, who I also met in person. She was more public about their differences. Right. right? So you weren't as surprised that they were getting divorced. But I think with Danielle and Nick, um, they really were, I was actually, I was not surprised. I thought he was of marrying age. And so I knew he was going to say yes. Um, but Danielle herself said, I didn't know even I was going to say yes until I got to the
0: altar. Right. And when he dealt with everything, I really feel, cause I spoke with Danielle too. And, you know, I'm not shaming Nick, but the way that he tried to portray Danielle and I hate and put her in a box. I really hated that for her just because, like you said, it's so fast paced that everything happens that even if the absolute worst argument in, on earth happened, you still couldn't judge someone's complete character off of a small blip of their life.
1: Well, and I think this is just news to all um people who are more vulnerable and Danielle was Danielle was open about her panic attacks and about her anxiety and yes to your point i do think and why her and i did a reel of heal people heal people instead of this idea of hurt people hurt people which is often a phrase we put out there that if i've been wounded or i have my own trauma am i going to then hurt other people and i'm going to use that as an excuse In fact, that's not true. Hurt people are highly sensitive to hurting other people and wouldn't do that. So that's where we want to like mix that up back to this phrase, once a cheater, always a cheater, hurt people, hurt people. These are not generalities. They should be used with caution and we have to do kind of a case by case on that. But yes, she owned her stuff. And I think that's why she has a big following and people, women relate to her because she's so open and honest about her anxieties.
0: And everybody has anxiety in some way, you know, even people who say that they don't have any anxiety. Um, I'm sure that in certain situations you do, like there's just, there's just no way. and she was just dealing with hers publicly, and that um, that alone ha- makes me have more grace for someone. and I try to keep that in mind when I think about him too, and his um you know, less than desirable behavior that he's also in the public eye and that can make you act a, a certain way
1: well the one the one person I do want to highlight who I really loved is Gabby, Gabby Wendy on the reason- oh, yeah. Because Gabby is a perfect example of having had trauma. She's open about it. Her mother um, really like left her, left her life. And Gabby has done a lot of therapy. It shows. It shows in her interactions and how she sensitively broke up with people online or on, on the show, essentially. And she handled herself really well. And so I think there's examples of also kind of showing Um, I'm not going to let my trauma define me.
0: Absolutely agree. I loved Gabby. I loved her on, um, I think it was like (laughs) Clayton season as well. (laughs) Yeah. I I loved seeing the snippets of her, but she just seems genuinely enthusiastic and her light has not been dimmed by what's happened to her. Um, And I love how vulnerable she is. She's the first person to say openly that she's not sure if she, is worth being loved, and that she's been working on that, and I think that's relatable for so many people.
1: Well, and she also was one of the first women to even come out because there was a gentleman named Nate who had a step had a daughter, and she said, "I'm not sure if I want to be a stepmother. I'm not sure if I really want children." And I think we have to have more models because what I like about reality therapy is, are there role models of women? who are balancing their life with relationships, who maybe don't necessarily want to have children. People need to speak to somebody else that they can relate to. We need to have more ethnic diversity. We need to have women in all shapes and sizes. Um, Finding love.
0: Absolutely. I, that's why I especially enjoyed, I just spoke with her actually, Kira Mengistu on most recent season of Bachelor in Paradise. I thought she was a perfect example of how you can be at the top of your profession and so competent and intelligent, but also have a side of you that's playful and sexual and explores your interests.
1: Yes. She had her doctor's coat over a bikini, right? Yeah. I love Kira because she was exactly that. And I also thought, poor Kira, are they giving her educated men, right? Because if that's totally what she's looking for, because I, I felt for her on that level too. But I absolutely agree to not take yourself too seriously. And she's handled herself brilliantly online. People came after her. You're a doctor. Uh, but how could you do that? And she's like, I'm entitled to have a life.
0: for her. Absolutely. And I think that that goes, and you know, people are so easy to say that if you're professional, that that you shouldn't do X, Y, Z. And really, you know, I I really don't see that in my eyes as being real.
1: I met my husband many years ago on match.com and I was on match.com. I'm a professional struggling. Do I put my profile online? I had a guy in my group therapy, like, want to date me. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. It was horrible. I'm like, Ugh. no, but I'm entitled to have a life. Right. And of course. My profile, there was nothing wrong with it, but you have to deal with these things. And I can understand why some people want to be incognito because of that too.
0: Yeah. Me too. I I completely get that. Since we were talking about Bachelor, we have to discuss what you think about Chris Harrison starting his own podcast and if he'll even be able to say anything.
1: Well, first off, I love Lauren Zima. Did you watch Roses and Rosé? I don't think I did. Oh, my God. If you knew, if you watched it, you would know. Lauren Zima, his girlfriend, now his fiance, broke down every single episode in a hysterical way. I miss it more than anything. Um, if she's on the show, I would love it even more. But Chris Harrison got, first, originally, I thought it was $20 million, but somebody said it was $9 million. And he has an NDA. So I don't imagine, though his first snippet was very compelling, that he's been thinking about it every day and he has so much he wants to share. I'm just not sure what he's going to share and if he's going to bring guests on and if he's also going to talk about, like, relationship advice. Because he has also written a book on kind of So I personally felt that that the franchise needed to mix it up. I liked Chris Harrison because it's what we knew, right? He was familiar to all of us, and I think he posed as more like the father figure, right? Yes. And so people liked him in that way. But he handled that interview with Rachel Lindsay very poorly, and he missed the mark on racism, and the franchise really does need um, just to mix it up. I mean, to be more sensitive, to be quite frank.
0: I would be so elated if the franchise just addressed things for for what's going on. I wish that they talked in depth about Eric on Gabby season. Yes.
1: And, and in fact, Michelle Young was very vocal about it. She was in the audience for that very reason. And for people who don't know, Eric had posed as blackface. Back in high school, he dressed as Jimi Hendrix, his, fa- you know, uh, his favorite artist. Favorite artist, but we needed to address the tone, how inappropriate it was. He tried because I'd read other things about it, he tried to take accountability, but they didn't air it. They didn't air exactly. it exactly, and so that was a huge miss. Like this was an opportunity, and to bring in maybe um, when we had Rachel Kirkconnell and Matt. Um, exactly. The host, um, I'm forgetting his name. Um, he was sensitive to the topic of race and we could have used something like that again.
0: I think that they should have addressed both of those situations in full. And I think that people were hoping they would. And that's exactly the situations that I was thinking of as well. Like if the bachelor franchise wants to really land well and not miss they would let chris discuss things in the franchise that people notice and aren't talked about
1: and i personally leah i've been putting a plug for this for years i would love 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 to see some therapy but not the way that they did it they i don't know if you saw that episode with with clayton he was in vienna and they had a therapist on and she called out one of the girls and said she was performative and it was very much um, a psychodynamic therapist. But these weren't at the relationships weren't at the point where they were really couples yet. So it right. was kind of awkward to be doing therapy at that point. But what I'd love is to do a general attachment style session talking about in general, these are the different types and this is what people do. Or once we got down to the actual couple, then show them out a little bit. Show them working on their real-life issues, managing thirds, managing the media. That's where I think the couple is really now a couple and can work on their issues. And because it's been so sped up, I think therapy at that point would be fundamental.
0: And I think that it would be interesting to see on TV, too. There's shows I've watched that are just therapists with their like same four clients rotating and it's so interesting to hear scenarios that you may have heard a friend go through or you've gone through yourself and then they work out how to get through it and past it.
1: Yes. Yes. So So, uh, that's how I think the, the show could be kind of next level, like take the favorite parts from all these reality dating shows in my mind. I'm always creating the perfect reality dating show with you know, interesting people who are all in, because I think that's what works on reality dating is going all in. And the problem with online dating now and just dating in general is what I call playing chicken. I'll go in when you go in. No, you're not showing me enough, so I'm not all in. Your your questions were lame, so we're done. And And people don't go all in. And on reality dating show, you give up your phone, you give up everything. And so it works. Anyone, Danielle, everyone will tell you love is blind and you can fall in love on a show when you go all in.
0: I call it, um, my girlfriends go through this all the time and I call it a staring match. Like which one of you is going to blink first? Like that's what it feels like when they're first starting out pursuing someone. Like if he's not showing that he's directly interested in dating, then I can't either. And everything is like looking at the other person for some sort of, encouragement or you know groundwork of where you stand with them
1: well and because they're the numbers are so big on online dating it's called what we call the paradox of choice the more options i have the less likely i am to choose any so i get really darn picky ooh that picture i don't like that t-shirt we're done and i'm going to swipe to the next person not giving them a chance versus like on love is blind you really go all in on the person And you have more in-depth conversations that really build that bond.
0: True. It's almost like you take away all of the extra noise and you're just able to talk about those important things.
1: Yes, absolutely. I
0: don't think we've gone into it yet on what shows have the best groundwork and least groundwork for an authentic relationship.
1: Interesting enough, I was surprised, but I followed the uh, Love Island UK And I loved those couples. I'll tell you what I think has better groundwork is not ending in an engagement or a marriage. I and that's why I like Love Island, because they left together without a ring. And I think and a lot of those couples are still together. Yes. And so I was impressed. The couples that are still together seem like they've bonded because they've gone through this very unique experience. They spent a lot of time together, and their relationships were tested, essentially. And now they're sticking together. A lot of them got great business deals after that, millions of followers. So I'm really impressed, even though it's like a bunch of, you know, um. Not smoke shows. What do they call them when they come on? A bombshell. Another bombshell.
0: bombshell. The
1: bombshell comes on. um, It's part of it that it's going to your relationship's going to be tested. But here's the difference. I looked at the statistic for those people who are the bombshells on Love Island. Do you know that they interview ninety eight thousand people? Ninety eight thousand people apply for the show, and they narrow it down to thirty or forty. On The Bachelor, how many people do you think they interview to get the 30 to 40 people?
0: Honestly, probably a thousand. 6,800. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. So you see, they
1: have the, I mean, because everyone has character and personality and they're beautiful, right? So we have just different shows, but I don't like that The Bachelor ends with an engagement. Because so many people say, if I'm going to get engaged, I want it to only happen once. And now we saw this, even with Gabby and Rachel, this pressure. Like, I want to leave with a ring on my finger versus I want to leave with a good relationship. And I think the show, with its brand, is a ring. You know, it's there's too much pressure And it's the same thing for love is blind and married at first sight. You're marrying a complete stranger. I don't think that's real world. I think what's real world is going all in, which is what people need to learn instead of this blinking game. Um, but then to have to leave engaged or married is too much. I'd love, I completely agree relationships like show them in their hometown dating and going to Costco and you know doing normal things i would love 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 to see the normal progression of a relationship
0: i agree and i think that i actually have like a note in my phone somewhere that like love island couples that show is that does have the like biggest percentage of staying together especially love island uk um And not only staying together, but they have children together, you know, and they're still together now. So there must be something, like you said, about organically, um, you know, getting there when you're ready to that commitment level. And they are put in situations where they're finding out how many sex partners someone they're interested has been with. They're finding out how they respond to a temptation when another bombshell walks in. And that's very telling of someone's personality.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I do think that everybody, whether it's on a, you
1: know, uh, Love is Blind or The Bachelor, everybody does talk about the unique piece, which is also production and having to deal with what is really real um, that we see. And I always tell people, keep that in mind, because, you know, we have these parasocial relationships, whether it's on. Tell Me Lies or The Bachelor, where we we think we know these people, but remember, they are showing us a highly edited version of this person, right? They have a show to make, and they want it to be entertaining, so someone's going to be a villain. That person may not be a villain in real life. It's unfortunate that some people get tagged, and not everyone does well. We've had some suicides come out of these shows, too, which is really concerning to me. And again, not addressing the mental health issues that can come from being on a reality dating show.
0: Absolutely. Um, When I speak with people who have been on shows, especially like The Bachelor, when you go home from that show, it's such a long period of time where you can't even confide in your parents, your best friends, anybody, as to whether or not you were sent home because you're broken up with or you're here because you're engaged. And that is... That isolating feeling is that that causes problems, you know, and, and Caitlin Bristow, in particular, she talked a lot about that the
1: loneliness that you feel you are even when the film is being you know through the whole filming of it, you you're literally talking to a producer, you don't have like your friends or your family. I mean it's very isolating. And then it's very hard to get your phone back and to see all the comments. This is another reason why, Leah, that a lot of couples do break up. And actually, Clayton and Susie were vocal about that, that you get this onslaught. So let's say, or or I'm on Love is Blind, and I'm uh, Colleen and Matt. Um, They had a lot of conflict. Can you imagine you open your phone and you get thousands of messages, girl, leave him. He's horrible, run. How do you then grapple with that idea that, oh, no, he's a good person, right? It's very hard. And you have to be incredibly strong to be able to manage these messages.
0: And I can honestly say that I, first watching, especially that couple in particular, I was one of those people who felt like, Colleen, run. But you're so right um, that is hard for her because she knows him better and different sides of him. And I can't imagine how hard that was for him to then yes. look at himself and wonder if that is who he is and if he can ever change the public perception as to who he really is.
1: And here's the one thing that I do tell people about attachment theory that brings it all together. So, you're not walking around all the time in your attachment style. I'm not walking around nervous all the time. I'm going to be nervous in particular when I feel abandoned, when I feel rejected. That's when my anxious tendencies boil over. So we're all like tea bags. You don't know who someone is until you put them in hot water. And that's their flavor. So these people are in a stressful moment on the show, right? I'm deciding whether I'm going to say yes to you at the altar or not think about the stress so you're seeing this couple you're seeing Matt at his very worst right you don't get to see absolutely at his best you don't see and so I as his partner if I'm Colleen I might make the decision that there's so many wonderful things about it and he's so wonderful in giving to me that I just had to see my partner at his worst
0: I love the analogy too that people are like tea bags. That's so true because you really do have to go through some hot water, as you said, to understand who someone is. If you Absolutely. don't go through that, you only have such a slim idea of their full personality. And Leah, in the real
1: world, I tell my clients, date about a year at least before you get engaged. On average, you know, couples in their depending if you're in your 20s or 30s, on average, couples are dating much longer. In fact, the good news is the divorce rate is going down because people are deferring marriage, dating for longer. They don't want any surprises. So that's juxtaposed with reality dating shows where I need to get engaged or married quickly. I don't have... Like Danielle and Nick, I don't have a year to kind of really know who you are through your stress points to figure out how are we as a fit together. But in couples therapy, I say to people, we're not here to talk about, again, 80% of the time when things are going well. We're talking about the 20% of time when you're in conflict and how are the two of you as a couple going to handle that.
0: I think that it's such a valuable perspective that you've provided all of us, you know, and everybody who's listening to this at home, when you're watching things, um, you know, when we're watching these things, we can take away like you do, the good parts of communication, the bad parts, but we'll never have a clear picture of what's going on. And we also can't compare our own relationships to theirs on television.
1: Uh, But I think what we, again, what we all need is we need some good role models. We need examples of good communication. And then, you know, I say do a reality check. So I've got my little mirror. Um, Look at yourself. Like, what am I doing? Am I holding myself back? Am I not putting myself out there? Am I being too picky? Am I not or a lot of people have this reality that like the perfect partner comes along, there's no problems. It just goes steadily up. They ask you in this grand proposal to get married, not realizing there were a couple of tough conversations. What do we want in life? Timing. Like you don't realize all the back history that gets you to that point. It's just what we see on Instagram, right? It's just the, oh, look. Final product. Exactly, the final product. We don't realize. I tell people even- I met my husband, I dated hundreds of people, we broke up uh, because we had, uh, there was a, a bigger issue. We actually went to couples therapy, did some premarital counseling. Yes. And then we got engaged and then we got married, but it, it wasn't
0: without its ups and downs. And I think that so many people are so scared when they encounter their first down that they... Leave, and I think that once you do find someone that you can go through all of those with, that you don't have the urge to flee that relationship, you know, that's when you have a good relationship. Yeah, and that's when, when you gets, can get married.
1: When it gets better, I tell people like my one secret is you'll know it's right when it gets better over time, not worse, because otherwise it's like a great beginning, it's like a love bomb beginning, and you're trying to like get back to the beginning. But my relationship, my marriage got better over time.
0: And so then I knew I could settle into that. That's perfect. What about for people, I wanted to end with this, for people who don't have maybe the financial ability to get help with, you know, how they come into relationships, what's something that everybody can do that can help them with their attachment styles and to be, um, you know, in a place to accept love from others? So Leah, I have some online courses which are less expensive than therapy,
1: of course. Um, But I tell people these four steps, okay? I have researched. I, I love research. I want to give people empirically validated treatments. Number one, you have to relax into your body. Have a meditation practice. Have a yoga practice. Exercise. Deep breaths. You need to physiologically not be anxious during those tough times, okay? That's number one. Two, you need to reconcile your early stories about love. My inner child story that says, I can't trust anyone. Everybody hurts me. Everybody disappoints me. Keep it to myself. Share with no one. I have to have a story about love that's more integrative, more positive. Yes. At least neutral. Number three, I need to have the right mindset. It only takes one. Um, one no does not define me. I'm not being rejected. I'm just moving on to something else that's a better fit. I need to get my thinking clear because if I don't come into it with the right mindset, it doesn't matter how perfect the partner, right? And then number four is I need to act with integrity. I need to have good communication skills. I need to ask for what I need, for what I want. I have to set good boundaries, but I also have to be confident, confident enough to ask somebody out, to say, hey, I really like you. Um, So those are the four things. I said, rinse, wash, and repeat. Calm in your body, positive uh, integration, uh, an idea that I can find love, positive mindset, and confident behaviors. And if you can do those four things,
0: you're on your way. Thank you so much for sharing those and for giving steps because it's so easy to feel overwhelmed with the bulk of knowledge that we all have access to. And there's so many helpful people on Instagram, but it's so hard to weed it out. So hearing those four steps and having a starting point is so helpful. Um, can you like give your website handle or where people can find you to follow up after the episode?
1: Absolutely, because my last name is Strakowski, which is a mouthful. Um, So I'm the back to love doc, B-A-C-K-T-O, love doc, Um, because I really I'm not a coach. Uh, I'm a psychologist. I call it date therapy because as psychologists, we can't call it coaching. Um, I really do a process of helping people identify their attachment style, recognizing what they need to work on, and then giving them kind of a game plan and then keep working with these things with new partners coming in and really just encouraging people. And then I work with
0: some singles who are then couples. And, you know, this is honestly... Depending on the affordability level, this is a great gift to give someone. You know, okay. like if you have a friend who you know just really has been struggling in their relationship and within themselves, and you, you know, their birthday's coming up or something's coming up, this is something that is a gift that keeps giving back, really. Right. And, Leo,
1: so I have courses for the four attachment styles. I also have a course dating with intention. Um, I even have a couple's handbook because if you're like a nervous Nora, but you're a low expressive type, and then your partner is an independent Ian, you're going to have unique things you work on. So there's 10 different pairings of couples, too. And I have a workbook that helps you. It's kind of like your horoscope, right? If you're a Leo and I'm an Aries, like, how, 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 how are we together? then you can work on what are your specific, what are going to be your your strengths and what are going to be your areas
0: of conflict. And, you know, if I am able to have the ability to take the course myself or something, then I will. And then we should reconvene and we can talk about it some more to, you know, go even deeper on that. Absolutely, Leah. Um, I love it because I love
1: just feedback. I'm revamping a couple things on my courses. And I also occasionally do some workshops. I'm going to be doing a workshop at the end of January too for people to talk more about attachment styles.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. You're a great resource. If you even just want to... Get an inside opinion and a healthy opinion for what like what is really going on in your favorite shows. then follow Dr. Diane because she gives the best breakdowns. And also, like I said, I found the cheating statistic on your page. You sometimes have tidbits that are um, psychologically impactful and they're very helpful. So it's in small doses and, um, and not overwhelming. And White Lotus, I have to say, have you watched White Lotus? Yes. Oh, my God. Loved that show, too. That was really, really well done. I loved it so much. What do you think, ending with this, Daphne and Cameron's um, attachment style is? What are they?
1: Well, Daphne, originally, I thought that she was kind of anxious because she's, like, high verbal, right? She's really affectionate and very, very verbal. But the way that I think my my assumption is that Cameron cheated on her first, And she got tired of it and he feels empowered and entitled to cheat on his wife. That's like a power play for him that she then said, screw you, I'm going to take my own lover, right? She's right. right. And I think she feels a little bit more avoidant in that way to me, that she could kind of handle this other person. So I think she said, if you can't beat him, join him. And I think this is kind of an
0: open marriage, though I don't think they've really defined it. And that's exactly the advice that she gives her friends too. That's she right. tells Harper, avoid it, just do what you got to do. And then she goes around and tells Ethan the same thing, avoid it. You don't yep. need to know, just do what you got to do. So I think that you're completely accurate in that diagnosis right there as well.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, I, 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 there were just so many things. Again, the the music, the cinematography. I think it is going to win a lot of awards. It was it was really um, season two in particular. I loved. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Do you think anybody will transition to season three from two? Oh, they're talking about Tanya's spirit is going to transition, <laughs> uh,
1: or Greg, her 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 husband. We might see him.
0: I would love that. Um, Like mini, mini spoiler for everyone listening. I might have on someone from my podcast from White Lotus season two. It's in the works. So I can't say who yet, but I'm trying really hard and I'm just excited to talk to any cast member who can give us some inside scoop to the show. Fantastic. I'd, I'd love to hear that, Leah. Thank you so
1: much. I do love all these shows. And I tell people, you know, keep in mind, they are shows, these some are real people, some are characters. But what can you learn about your own relationship? And what are your blind spots? And what, what can you do to really find a loving relationship? Because I do believe that that's what it all comes down to, you know, finding love in your life. I mean, it, it can be
0: life changing. And like we just said, watch White Lotus, follow Back to Love Doc on Instagram, go to her website. And if you really enjoy this episode and connect with us, reach out to us, send us a message and, you know, let us know what you loved.